We are recording. Um, oh, and we're no, live. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope we're not getting an echo, but we might be. And if we uh, are, I need I'll to go check that. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Flow Forward. I have a mouthful of snacks because this is well produced. How are you? We have some people tonight that are going to talk about agency, allegedly. Maybe we don't have the agency to talk about agency. Maybe we do. Maybe only Cavoir does. Huh? Why would I have the authority to speak on that? I didn't say authority. Anyway. That sounds fine. Good. Agency. Oh, I, I just... I just checked out the new stream setup, and you can see the Discord chat. Terrifying. Yay. <laughs> yes, the Discord chat. I'm closing it now. Okie dokie. <laughs> so we're talking anyway. about agency. Uh, uh, specifically, I think. How much is too much of a good thing? How much is too much? Agency is definitely, we generally agree that agency is good in our lives. Yes. Or do we have any pushback on that? I will argue that there are definitely a lot of people that do not want a lot of agency in their lives or hardly any because agency means responsibility and a lot of people don't like responsibility. I don't think you're wrong. However, uh, we're talking about something slightly different, heroic agency, really. Dramatic agency? What you can do in the story, a story, your story, the story. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that, that does still kind of get into the issue. Like, there's a lot of superhero comics that get into that kind of thing, for example. Sometimes science fiction stories where they're like, okay, could you have prevented this? And because you didn't, are you responsible for bad things happening? You know, mm -hmm. basically glorified trolley problems. Glorified trolley problems. That's what we're talking about tonight on Fail Forward. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's basically what my game is. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. Your game, your game is putting trolley problems on a, on the highest possible pedestal, but not. they're not even trolley problems because uh, half the characters. If I understand your game correctly, half the characters it's it's choosing what is the option? Is it is it more? Is it a greater sense of my purpose in the world to flip the switch or not? Instead of what is morally correct tends to be the the way it is, but you know. Oh. Yeah, kind of, but you're also missing that another viable option is two-lane uh, drifting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the other option I believe you include is throwing yourself on the tracks. Uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a weird sensation of you from this conversation. Hmm. Maybe... Anyway, I'm just going to introduce people since we haven't done that yet. I just realized. I'm Rob. Hello. Hi. Uh, that's Catrice with the voice yeah, over there. That's Catrice. Kevar is here also with yeah, the talking. Hi. Yep, that's Kevar. And then Mark's here also. Hi, Hello. Mark. Hello. 
and Cam's in the audience. Hey, Cam. In the live audience. You might be in the recording audience, but I can't know that because that's past the limits of my agency. Yeah, but but I think if if you wanted to and you're listening to this as a recording, you could be in the live audience next time. Yep. Hint, hint. That's right. Join our live audience and or subscribe to our stuff thing. Our Twitchy YouTube. I think those are different things. Is Twi Twitch and YouTube are different. I run uh, both. Yeah. I don't perceive a vast difference in either. Yeah, honestly. I mean... Like and subscribe. Ring the bell. What Sam says. Yes, good. Yes, do all those things. Do do the ringy belly stuff. Um, from tell tell your friends about the podcast that you presumably listen to. Something. So maybe something. there's something good here. Good for you. You you found the diamond in the rough. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you found more rough. So do yes. something. Support our Patreon and our OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> We do have a Patreon that has nothing on it. Technically, I think I think it's I don't even know if it's launched. I I checked it like two, three weeks ago and I was like Oh god. Does it exist? Oh yeah, it does exist. Good for me. Uh, uh you, you just had that so that you would get the better rate if we ever decide to make one. Is that why you did it? Yeah, oh yeah, it was because of the grandfather thing, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um <laughs> So back to the topic. We're specifically not talking about agency. We're talking about uh, how you limit agency to get story is how you phrased it. Uh, not exactly how I would have phrased it. So could the person who phrased it that way please explain themselves? Yeah, Rob. That would be me. Uh, I phrased it like that because I have noticed that I am... Ashes is turning into a game about gradually expanding agency where I give you very little at the beginning much I would this is not dissimilar from many other games but I'm noticing that the the depth of it is something I'm having trouble mm, trying to figure out how to properly modulate as the game goes on um so that it was kind of like okay so it I guess conceptually what I'm trying to explain is uh, the idea that let's let's take two examples of stories uh, in which characters have vastly different agencies. So you have heroic fantasy where uh, a character is expected to be competent and expected to be resilient and have enough motivation to see them through to the end of their quest and that uh, the challenge at the end of the quest will be nigh insurmountable, except they will have something that will push them over the top and uh, allow them to prevail. That's the, generally the story of the, the heroic quest. And then you have the horror story where the character, the central character, might not be that competent, uh, does not, maybe is not motivated, uh, and may not necessarily make it to the end of the story. Maybe they will encounter their doom 
by the end of this thing. And so the the curve of agency in these two stories is the hero story generally starts out low to middle and then increases to a point of um, either of my AC just went on one second. Uh, increases to a point of total agency where they're basically the king of the story at that point where they can do their 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 will is carried out to its utmost. And then you have uh, the horror story where agency starts out middle to low and then gradually diminishes until the the character, uh, the central character has no agency left and they completely succumb to the circumstances of their of 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 the plot. So when I was thinking about these two things, it struck me that you that the the agency the character has is very entangled with with the genre and central premise. So what do you guys think about that? Because the horror guy has much less agency and it gets lower. And the hero guy has 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 a more agency and it gets piled on. So like in D&D you have more and more until eventually you can fight gods at the top top end and then let's say a game like um Blackbeard's Bride, you have a small amount of agency represented by the fact that you're only a piece of a psyche of one character and then you just lose agency as the game progresses until uh you die, which is not or the the story ends in one of basically three ways. Uh at that point your agency collapses into uh one of three realities. So you know I I do want to have something to say on this that games about horror do seem to work very differently than um say TV shows or movies or uh actual like written novels about horror. Like there is actually a fairly different uh setup for how agency works in those because when you look at like horror movies like almost all of your horror movies the characters actually do have agency which is what has actually ended up in being the problem like if you look at slasher films like say friday the 13th or you know any of those kinds of things there like almost all of them it's specifically people who are doing immoral acts have things that go against them. So they have the agency. They made a choice to do like premarital, premarital teen sex, for example, is considered to be immoral in these. And because of that, those are the ones who get murdered. But as you go through to the end of the movie, the character that was basically pure ends up getting more and more agency until they can actually defeat the supernatural villain. Even if everybody else gets murdered one by one, it's usually that case. But the exception seems to be if the, it's going to be like a standard kind of story where they're trying to emphasize that yes, the good and pure person makes it out in the end, or if they're trying to do a subversive thing where that they have an unhappy ending, and in the unhappy ending, then basically the character might almost make it and then just fall at the last moment and they lose all their agency. But 
there's still agency to be had up until the last moment, which is very different from how tabletop games tend to do horror. I feel like there should also just be a distinction, or at least there is in my mind, between uh, agency as the ability to affect change, or I guess to, to take action, and power. Because I think um, you can have someone with very low power, but still be agentic, still be able to make the decisions, or at least in this point, like as a, as a player of a game, I don't know that your agency has changed, or at least I don't think that that's necessarily a, a good metric to be looking at. It's more the power of the character, of the agent itself. But you should still feel that you have the ability to make the choices of that character just with a limited scope of what they can do. Is yes. it a limiting scope, limiting agency, though, or am I am I confused? I, I think there's, I think they're correlated, but I don't think they're necessarily attached because you can have a character that has a great deal of localized agency. They can affect the lives of people right next to them very heavily, but they can't do much on a wider scale. But you could have a character that could have agency over a very broad area, but they don't have very much of it. Like, I, I would say that I, I wouldn't want to get confused between the player agency and the character, like, the characters in the game agency, which I would equate as, like, their power. Like, that is the, the scope of what they can do. Like, if I can, if my character in this game can challenge God, that is them having power or, therefore, agency in that game to do things. But I, as the player, I don't think I want that to be, uh, I, I don't necessarily feel that, there's a good reason to limit player agency yet. Okay. I, I, I can push back on that just a little bit. I think, I see where you're coming from on that. I think, I think, hmm. The, to me, the, the power, I, I see where you're coming from in, in terms of player agency versus character agency, but character agency and player agency are both limited or restrained, let's say, um, by the environment that's instantiated by largely by the game or by the gm um so i think in that way <clears throat> you could so so let's let's let me demonstrate something okay by, by way of example so you can take that heroic character whose agency gradually increases and put them in the horror story and you get the scenario catrice was talking about where you have the 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 uh trope of the final girl who makes it through because they're the, the, the pure one, right? They're the hero of the story and they gradually get more agency enough to defeat the, the evil. So that's, to me, that's, that's conflating. There are two stories happening there because there's, at one hand, you're, you're telling there's some protagonists in that story that will not make it. And for them, it's a pure horror story. And for the protagonist that is pushing through, for them, it's, it's a hero story. So there, there's actually two stories happening there based on the point of view of, of the character you're taking. So from inside an RPG, that, that, P, that point of view, that what determines that point of view is largely the context of the game. So even if you had, like, for example, D&D can take a, a heroic character and put them in Ravenloft, and their agency inside Ravenloft is greatly restricted compared to Greyhawk. 
even even though their power level is the same, the the what they're able to do with that power, it, it, they have fewer choices. And it's not that the players have fewer choices because the players sort of. I, I'm not really concerned about player agency in the sense of what do I get to decide or how the mechanics constrain my choices. It's more about I'm more concerned about where where you, what you term power, where it's the player agency or I'm sorry, character agency can be can mismatch the story that you're trying to express. So a so if you put a character inside of Blackbeard's bride that could simply defeat anything it encountered by combat, and that was its like intent, like a fighter or barbarian in D and D, it just it wouldn't work for the story. And now those and, and and it's those sort of I guess it's sort of like you i you know you you're doing both in that scenario where you're limiting the character's agency by by limiting the player's agency in certain ways you're not you're putting them in a box and saying here do something with this with these tools i've given you um but in, i feel like in order to do that the writer has to constrain to tell certain stories the writer has to put that box there and i guess i the the thing i'm curious about is how exactly or what what are the parameters of setting up the box to get certain results from from your experience so like call of cthulhu has def different um puts a different box around the characters than than D, D or Shadowrun, and that puts a different box around the characters than blades in the dark and so the limits i'm 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 i guess i'm curious about investigating the limits of those those how those limits that that the writers put around the characters prompt the story to move forward in certain ways and not others right. does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely i think i would have just defined it differently because when i usually talk about agency i'm usually referring to the player's ability to to make the decisions within the scope of the powers they have but mm -hmm. this is really sort of setting with the founding box of powers uh, should yeah, be. So. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, so I'm happy to use whatever definition. It's just um, that that to me says that you're, you're more so constraining uh, the, the set of options for the, the player based on what kind of character would best suit the story. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, it's more it's it's less about constraining the character type and more about constraining how much they're allowed to affect and I suppose when in the story. Like the, like one of the things that, that that prompted me to think about this were, were were some of the things that have annoyed me about certain games for a long time like the, the, and those are spells that or mechanics, let's say, not even spells, but mechanics which, by their very inclusion, shortcut a story. And giving those to players as, as an option, I don't know what that says about your faith in your game to tell the story that you intend. There's something, there, there, there is, there's a strange self-subversion there that I, I, I guess 
I got stuck on and I'm trying to figure out and I'm trying to figure it out because I don't want to do it. So I'm trying to make sure that I don't. Um, so, would, mm-hmm. would an example of this be something, I'll use like a spell example, like say you want to find a, a long, a long track from one, mm-hmm. one area to another. And it's like, oh, I teleport there. Right. Teleport, find the path. Anything, anything that were like the game could in, could put in a mystery in front of you, and you can solve it with a single action. I think is probably not conducive to the experience most people want out of. Like most people don't want out of an RPG just a bunch of dominoes set up so they can flick them over. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. It feels it feels hollow. Um, yeah, that's going to depend upon the nature of how people come up with that like i think that actually gets more into player agency than character agency in a lot of ways because this basically gets into the situation of can the players screw up the gm's plot like that is kind of the crux of that and it's not just the way that the characters can do that it's it's also things like if you set up a puzzle in the game and the character and the players are like oh i know a way to get around the nature of the puzzle because the puzzle was not built very well or whatever like it's not even necessarily a power that the characters have it's just players are like so we have to get to the end of the maze and there's like can we just walk around like the outside of the hedge maze and show up at the other side it's like shit i didn't think of that (laughs) (laughs) well uh it's uh, if i experience it's probably hedge maze that you can walk around but it's very frequent that people that uh certain types of uh, people will forget that some of the characters can fly (laughs) <laughs> or the flammable. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's stuff like that. But I, I use that example specifically because I have actually seen in a puzzle book a thing where there was like literally like one of those mazes you're supposed to trace out with your pencil and there was literally no way through it. And if you went and checked like the solution, it was literally draw a circle around the outside, like a semicircle around the outside of it. It was like, you bastages. <laughs> <laughs> So, so really, you're just pissed off about one very specific example. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm okay with the example actually. Like, I'm, I'm okay with the idea, but the issue is that anytime you have like a puzzle in a game, you have to think about the puzzle the same way that the, the person who designed the puzzle did it usually, and if you circumvent the puzzle. Like, if you did that and that was not the purpose of the puzzle, then whoever created the puzzle would be like, that's cheating. You're not allowed to do that. But that's purely perspective is the issue. So it's like, is this too much agency to give the players the ability to bypass whatever you've placed in front of them? Like you said, the idea of if you can bypass it with a single action, well, they bypass the entire maze by going around it. Mm-hmm. They bypass the dungeon by flooding it with chickens. 
Sure. I, I, I'm, I'm speaking less about the player's ability to upset plot and the the right the right writer or designer of the RPG, including content that allows the players to upset plot. Like I suppose, like the question. Because I'm talking, I'm talking about it from a design perspective, not an adventure writing perspective, right? So, yeah, there's there's still the issue of the design of like, can you predict every single way that players are going to abuse things? Like we have, like the thing I just mentioned, like flooding a dungeon with chickens. It was like, why? Because you can put like an infinite number of chickens into like a bag of holding or something. And, at some point, they just like poured an infinite number of chickens into a dungeon and suffocated everything in it. Same concept, like tip over a decanter of water, come back in a month after it's flooded. Right, right. It's like, was this something that was too much agency for the players or the characters? And it's like, probably not an issue on the characters. I'm pretty sure this was on the player side. But who, guess, what, yeah. yeah. How do you how do you control that in the sense like you've uh, given like I guess a an ability or a power that is within uh, you think I guess a reasonable scope or within a reasonable limit and the players abuse it uh, or find a way to I guess maximize their opportunity from it. Um, um. Thing, the thing that I've noticed for it, the defining feature of when something gets too powerful is when you have open-ended questions that character that the players get to write in the blanks. Because like anytime you have support abilities, like one of the strongest spells in D&D is Restidigitation. It's a cantrip. It's the, the lowliest of low spells. I have blown up half a city with with a cantrip because of this. Because it doesn't define certain information. Like, it says you can't make anything magical, but you can make, you know, matter for a short period of time. It's like, you didn't say it can't be radioactive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, uh. My general opinion is that radioactive materials that exist in fantasy settings by default, but that's a whole other side. Sorry. Yeah, the 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 issue is though that you'd have to start specifying like a bunch of side rules and a bunch of very specific constraints. Like you can't do this with it. You can't do this with it. You can't do a bunch of other things yeah, with it. And you can't, and you should. They shouldn't have to write thirty paragraphs about that. You are correct there. Yeah, yeah. and that's where the problem is because, like, a fireball, pretty simple, straightforward. It does fire damage in an area. There you go. That that's what it does. Yeah, it doesn't even start fires in an area. It does fire damage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you you can argue that it should be able to start a fire on something flammable if it deals fire damage to it. But according to the rules, no, it doesn't, which is kind of a weird thing. But it's like, can you solve problems with a fireball to a degree? But it's it's very limited in what it can do because it's very explicit of exactly what it does. 
as soon as you start saying, okay, it can do a bunch of stuff, just fill in the blanks. It's like, it's a weak, not very powerful spell it, it, or ability. It doesn't matter what the mechanics are. As soon as it's let the players fill in the blanks, it's going to break the game somehow, every time. Like, if you have a clever player, they will find a way to make illusions that don't do any damage, don't harm anybody. They will find a way to one-shot kill the the big, bad, evil guy at the end somehow with it. Right. Mm. Right. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good highlight of the problem because that's something you do want to avoid as a designer, right? You, I mean... Oh, let me see, because avoid is, is an interesting question there, even because presumably, like, let's say, let's say Mage the Awakening, right? Like a bunch of, there's a lot of things <laughs> that you can do at pretty low level that are tremendously powerful. Um, but it's, it doesn't feel bad and it doesn't feel like you're messing with the game that much because the game's designed around these powers and the players having this open-ended sort of ability to um, to really stick their fingers in the gears of of their reality, so to speak, and hmm. it's it's designed with that in mind, and so the threats are commensurate to that that level of of, of character ability. So it it is yeah, I guess I'm worried about accidental mismatches on in terms of I want to give players uh, cert, certain ability to affect the story on their own terms uh, more gradually so that like the box I put the around around them at, at the start of the game gets bigger and bigger because I feel like like games where there's something there's there's a disconnect that happens where i feel like the 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 power curve that is generally characteristic of game progression is only a power curve there's there's there seems to be there, there's not a discussion i guess about expanding agency in other in realms besides personal ability mm -hmm. and i i guess i'm trying to figure out is there a way, are, I mean, there must be ways that you can let the players know that the box around them is getting bigger while giving them the tools to, to interact with that scope of stuff without, um, breaking in. I guess you have to you'd have to make it such that the story just reacted to whatever they did, right? So it would be it would be like a counterpunch type scenario. Like and that that would be the the non-artificial limiting of agency is you you count the game counters with as much force as the players put out, I suppose, in some sense. Right. That's exactly it. I think that's the best approach to this is that when there is sort of this potential abuse case of what the powers granted to the players can do, I think there's an opportunity there for the game master to, or 
a potential game master of the game itself to react and say, okay, well, you've tipped over the decanter and you've waited a month and then you come back and the cavern is flooded. But now all of this, uh, this new threat is a problem. This, like, the nascent of, right, exactly. <laughs> like, what are you going to do about that? Um, mm -hmm. And that the, what's nice about the idea of a role-playing game, I think, is that it's so flexible that you should be able to come up with those kinds of ideas that now the players have set not a solution necessarily for themselves, but they found a creative way of getting themselves into more trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Have toolbox where they have fun ways to deal with things, and then that um, rewards them in a way where they can come across like, like the corpses of the enemies that they would have fought. But now there's also another issue that they can face. Right. Um, yeah. The, the quote from Cam is actually kind of useful for this. Um, he says, if you give them only a screwdriver, their creativity will lead to jerk uses of the screwdriver sometimes, because right. that's the only tool they have. It's If you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and until somebody realizes there's a claw end to the hammer, we can use this to break a lot of other stuff you didn't think of. <laughs> but... How I interpreted the screwdriver comment is, yeah, yeah, if you give you a screwdriver, you, you can use it to unscrew things or screw things back in, or, but somebody's inevitably going to use it to stab somebody's eye out, and you're going to... I mean, it could be worse. They could use it to, to hold the demon core open. But anyway, so the other part he was saying was what Mark had mentioned of give them a toolbox, they have fun ways to deal with most everything. This can actually cause a problem, though. I One of the things that I discovered when I was working on video game design was the nature of what makes something overpowered is not actually the numbers. It's the concepts of, do you have a tool for every single situation? If you can deal with every problem that you come up against and you have no weak point, that's where the problem is, not the numbers. So if you have a character where they have, say, four things they need to be able to do, and they only have enough resources to deal with three of those things, then now the player has a question about which of these things am I going to sacrifice? If you give them too high of a number in one of those areas to the point that they basically can just ignore that area entirely now. Now they have enough resources to deal with three problems, and they only have three problems. The answer is obviously yes, I deal with three problems. Now what do you do? It's, well, you don't, because you've basically removed their choices. They don't have agency really anymore because agency is your ability to to make choices. If there is no choice presented to you because there's only one correct answer and there's no real way to make anything other than that answer, then you essentially don't have agency. Yeah, that's one of the problems I'm I'm trying to figure out too, right? Because you can have 
that's the other thing where where, where the the guy the the GM can artificially limit agency by subverting every single one of the player's choices, right? Like I think that's exactly the thing you're talking about. And it's, it's yeah, it's that balance of like, yes, the game should counterpunch, but no, it shouldn't subvert. And it's like, is there a mechanically, is there a mechanically elegant way to prompt that besides in, in such a way that the player's are enjoying the negative outcomes <laughs> in some way. Hmm. You know, I haven't fully found a way to do it myself, at least. Like so far, the closest I've come up with is basically setting the setting up so that it can react to the players, which I've done with my world setting and the overarching GM rule and player rule of you can break the game in a single way once and then you have to find a new way to break it. Other than that, I don't think I've actually found a way to prevent it in terms of a mechanical sense. Can we address it with design, do you think? Is that something that's even possible? Oh, you can definitely address it partially with the design. Right, right. So like uh, the trap setup I have at the moment. When you come across a trap, it's basically like um, your stats are checked against the stats of the trap for whether you notice it too early or too late. Like, do you notice, oh, hey, there's like a bunch of like holes in the walls that are all at you know, torso level, maybe we don't want to walk through here, or is it you notice the trap when you hear the click after the pressure plate you stepped on went down? And this gives you, you have this many actions in the time between the trap goes off and the time that you've noticed it. And those actions are totally open-ended, but you have this many actions to deal with stuff, with the one exception of if you use an open-ended spell that basically lets you use any parts of a spell that you've learned, even if you haven't tried building them into a preset uh, spell before, that takes two actions instead of one. Like, that's basically your limitations mechanically in this situation, and it gives a lot of agency for dealing with it, a lot of open-endedness. And it's possible that the players may actually figure it out on the first try. They may not need two, three, or four actions to deal with this problem. But maybe they will. And it gives that sense of urgency in the fact that you only have so many tries. You better go quick. And even if there's not a timer, the fact that it feels like a timer is enough to make people stop thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. But that's the closest thing I can think of to a mechanical mm -hmm. implementation to it. Like, even that is, it's just limiting the number of tries you get at this problem. But that still means that, like, the players are going to feel their agency because they can still sit around and be like, we're going to spend half an hour trying to figure this out. 
even if they only have like fractions of a second in the game, they can still sit around the table for half an hour and discuss what they're going to do with that. And when they they finally figure out a way to get around the fact that the ceiling is lowering down on them, okay, well, they're going to feel happy that, yay, we've managed to figure out a way to get out of this problem, yay. But I don't think it necessarily gets around your issue of can you prevent them from having from defeating the situation with a single action because as long as you give the players the ability to think about things long enough they will probably eventually figure out a single action that will bypass your problem yeah um I, I'm more, yeah, I'm not so worried about the players solving it with the open-ended thing. I think, in fact, that's probably desirable. You know what I mean? I feel like that's, I mean, for some people, that's the central fun part of an RPG. Right. Um, and so the my... Tabletop. I think yeah. it's the central premise of the tabletop RPG is this right. is what you can do. You can do open-ended things that the programmers in a video game can't anticipate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's I'm, what I'm saying is that's that's the thing I think everybody shows up for, and it's it is that mm -hmm. central thing that you can't get somewhere else. Um, and then that is the problem, though, from the sense of it. Yeah, in a sense, because you have. Well, I'm no, no, no. It's not the problem. It's the. It's the it's the cliff. I would say that gets approached when you start adding abilities to a game that can manipulate stuff right so for all of like for example blades in the dark has a certain inevitability to it like just how the story goes the the arc of the characters in blades in the dark there are certain there are certain patterns in that game and certain mechanics that push the characters in that game down a certain path almost no matter what, simply by virtue of existing in that world and using those mechanics. Um, and so in writing that game, uh, there, there's an intentional limitation placed on the, the characters by the mechanics that the characters presumably are not aware of, in a sense. The players are aware of it. And so they understand that their agency over the story is limited, but the characters within it probably don't understand that. And so I, I, I'm interested, I suppose, in like where the where that and that's by design, right? Those characters are are beholden to their vices. They can't get out of that. They cannot get rid of their vices no matter what. Right? There's no functional mechanical way because it's an integrated part of how recovery works there's an assumption that these characters will never not will be never in will like, never not be in trouble right they're, it's, they're... it's just going to keep funneling them back mm -hmm. into more conflict like we get a moment to rest and relax mm -hmm. and because you tried to rest and relax you are thrust into a stressful situation again you are one set up not even if you're thrust into but one set up and now you know it's coming in that like there's 
the stressful thing is there already, as as you say, but it, it's it's just one layer removed. But the 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 end result is the same, and it's that that there's a a sense of a downward spiral to the game where the the more you push and the more daring stuff you do, even if you're more competent at the daring stuff you do, uh, you actually the more competent you are in Blades in the Dark, actually the faster the spiral happens, weirdly enough. So because you're better at dealing with um extreme, you're more likely to start doing extreme um what do you call it? When it's the most dangerous, it is. I can't remember what the terminology in the game is, but whatever it is. Um, when it's there, you're getting the most XP, but you're also probably taking the most stress, and you're probably closing, closing in to trauma or um, uh, other really serious consequences every time you do that, even though the, you're more likely to succeed. But it pushes you, and the game pushes you as a function of its, of its design. So that's kind of I'm I'm more I'm interested in that kind of thing. Like the design where it's like, okay, so I'm 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 building this this structure that pulls in the characters and the players are along for the ride, but it pulls in the characters into this particular mode of story. And I think that's somewhat modulated by your crew choice in Blades in the Dark where where that that that's a part of the player's agency the players get to say we're having these kind of stories but the gm in blade of the dark doesn't really doesn't really have any breaks to pull on on that that spiral does that make sense like the game will just do that by virtue of playing it um so, so that kind of um, that there's there's that kind of agency limitation that that that's much more salient to me right now because I'm I guess I'm trying to figure out where where I can put those systems and how those systems. I'm trying. I guess the because the point is that I want the systems to develop with the players so that the the loops they can adjust to the loops so that their agency becomes bigger as the game goes on. But that's by it's like the character reaching into the game mechanics and expanding their agency from within the game but touching the mechanics right this is weird now to talk about <laughs> but i don't i don't necessarily see that as any way as a limitation of what your agency becomes i see that as sort of enacting your agency to cause chaos and like all of those little branches of like each event that causes you to gain more stress that then leads to your heat catching up to you. And like there's that to me is all of these mechanisms that the players have for how they want to, um, I guess, tell their story. Yeah. So do you find that there is like, a loss of agency that's involved in this yeah and i guess that's probably what i'm struggling with is that it's that's there's no opportunity in blaze in the dark for those care for for even one of those characters to break from their vice which is clearly one of the things that pushes the game forward 
but to me it'd be interesting like it's a more interesting story to me in some sense if not in some sense it is a more interesting story if one of the crew suddenly stops indulging in their vice completely and does something else to relieve stress uh oh god i'm trying to remember if that's actually in the game or if i just made it up <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I, it makes sense that you would make that up because i at, I've certainly at one point felt... one of my characters uh switched vices uh due to a logical story progression um is what i will say yeah but that's a little weird because even if you switch your vice you still have a vice. You still yeah. rely on doing the thing. So even if you're not doing the same thing, you're still essentially doing more or less the same thing. Yeah, I mean, like, in universe, it's a very different thing they were doing. It's a very different uh, to, uh, in this particular case, it's a pretty different thing to, uh, I think the original one was, oh, God. I need to walk over the list again. Sorry, give me a second. Because it's it was a long time ago that this campaign happened. I had a character that switched from drugs to prostitution in the middle of a game, but that was just the that was one of the your your vice got burned, your vice place got burned, and you have to go look for another one. Yeah, that that that's something that's just in the game can happen. Yeah, exactly. but this was. Uh, they no longer, uh, they uh, accidentally got really into doing charity work. <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> very short right. Like, because the, because the gang ended up moving into the back of, uh, of the Weeping Lady due to uh, incidents as one of their high notes, uh, one of them just got really involved with uh, doing that work as their, and that they turned into their vice instead of their old vice, which I think was gambling. Cause and the they they just uh, uh and I figured you could they could get in enough trouble uh helping out uh, given who they are at uh at a at uh like uh, what's it called uh, like uh, at a at a kind of like rough uh charity soup kitchen that it was fine as a vice so I just love <laughs> yeah. It sounds the same to me. They're still gambling on whether it's going to help any of these people get out of the problems that they're in. It's not. <laughs> um, it's going to make the uh, them slightly better. <laughs> no. Anyway, um, actually, no. That was the third. That was the, I, I forgot the whole progression there because i feel like it's very key because the second part of the progression was that they went ghost hunting for the the legendary former leader of it and then eventually they just started helping out around the soup kitchen <laughs> i mean that's blaze in the dark that's 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 yep. what should happen but and and i think it's perfectly valid to conceptualize charity as like i've seen people do that yep so that 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 makes sense to me but yeah, the like, thing is, is like, you, sorry, go ahead. The thing I was asking is like, is is the capacity to change your vice just in the rule book, or or did I just like do that because it made sense? I think you just did it because it makes sense. I think changing your vice, as long as it still does the same thing the vice does, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but but my 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 
my objection, I suppose, is that there's no there's no ration, there's no way to overcome or integrate the vice into a healthy behavior schema, which I suppose is not what you're looking for when you're playing scoundrels and blades in the dark. But the fact that there's it's 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 constraining the agency of the characters in order to keep telling a story about scoundrels, and it's not terribly interested in telling stories about scoundrels that reform themselves in any sense or become good guys or whatever that is. Oh, but... uh, I mean, it can, but that's where the end of the story is. They retire that. Oh, yeah, for some, but that's not, I mean, I, I'd be interested, you know, there's, I don't know. I, I... Well, they're no longer scoundrels. So you're not telling a story about scoundrels at all, period, anymore. You've, mm, you've no. changed the nature of the game. It, yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is there is a design constraint to the agency, and changing that changes the game. Yeah. So, in order to tell certain stories, there are there are design constraints placed on the characters in order to in orders to make them so that they have to make certain choices and they can't make others. Um, but I mean, and, and Cam's asking, do you want a game Rob that can do all of that and has a mechanic for formalizing that change? Yes, that's correct. That's what I'm designing. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out a, a way to, well, no, I'm not trying to figure out. I'm trying to construct that method of self diagnosis I guess I need starting points. Right, that that are like vice, that are like that, where you have where you have constrained agency, and then eventually that becomes an overcomable thing. And I, I sort of was working on this today, where it became clear to me that I have to that I can't quite start with as much as a, of a blank slate as I thought. I it seems to me that I need to. I need to give player characters in some sense a wrong worldview starting out in order for them to to work through it. Uh, and I'm I am I guess I'm trying to figure out the mechanical scope of that imposition. Like right now it's probably something like this becomes a factor when certain elements crop up in your story like this is a detriment like the thing you thought was a, your strength is a detriment in these situations so that's something you can overcome um but i don't have anything where there's a uh well that's not that's not true i don't have nothing but the the, the mm -hmm. incentive to use your ability to get yourself into trouble is probably too small right now. Uh, and I'm tr trying to figure out if I should further constrain the players in some sense or make the, the power that they could reach for that makes things worth more powerful. Um, one thing I'm noticing here, which is a little mm -hmm. bit weird, is the way you have the mechanics set up are kind of vaguely similar to 
the mechanics of Blade in the Dark in a different way, but it's getting a similar end effect of, you know, recursively putting a loop where as you perform actions, you get put back into the game. Like, um, when players do actions in one area, they're letting another area accrue dread or other effects that basically make it so that bad things are going to happen. Now, what you're basically saying is removing the thing that puts them back into the game. Like, if you remove your vices from uh, Lights in the Dark, you basically have nothing to keep the game going. Like, that's one of the key integral parts that when you recover from your previous heist or whatever, it sets you up for the next heist. You're basically sense. saying, let's remove that. So it's like, in your particular case, to, to make it so that this is going in the upward, the, the upward spiral, as Kim mm -hmm. put it, or to snowball, mm -hmm. you would basically have the effects on dread and apathy and such mm -hmm. be decreased over time, which would mean that you, instead of funneling the players back into a new conflict with more stuff to do, they actually get to a point where they run out of things to do, which has been where your design has been trying to avoid for so long. Well, it's it's definitely doing it's trying to do both things. Right? It's not it's not trying to avoid that. That is the that is I guess where that is the the goal of the players, right? Is to act in such a way such that they are they are accounting for their externalities before they put them back out into the world. And so in that way they would be doing stuff like reducing their overall impact but I'm, I guess I want to represent that as a lower forceful impact, but without, but without attenuating their influence so that they can have... Basically, what I'm trying to get the game to do is allow the players to start building a very big lever so that when they get to a point, they can push with minimal force and have an outsized effect. And building that bigger lever, part of that would be like attenuating your negative output, whatever that is, however your character does that. Okay. Um, the so as part of the journey, I suppose, part of the journey is to stop playing the game, yes. Yeah, so yeah. mechanically for this, you've mentioned that you have your scope, like starts mm -hmm. out self, personal, communal, social, environmental, and universal, the way you've described it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's perfectly fine. That's an upward scale of how far your character's reach goes. Mm -hmm. You have, I always forget the third one. So it's like dread, apathy, and what was the other one? Oh, for the, the, the tripart, it's um, the, known, the known stuff that that is despair, apathy, and cruelty. Despair, apathy. And, and dread, dread is the unknown. Dread is, dread is oh, right. the placeholder, yeah. Right, right. Okay, sorry watch that. But anyway, so despair, apathy, cruelty. So you already quantify those as set values. Right. So with the values you have, they're relatively quite small numbers. Like mm -hmm. I think it's like one to three. So there's not a lot you can reduce there. Yeah. So you might actually 
inflate the numbers slightly. So hmm. maybe increase them up to, say, up to 10. And okay. then as you go on and you deal with these issues, it may not give 10 anymore. It might give 9 or it might give 8 or 7 eventually. So that your negative aspects are going down, but the scale and scope is still going up. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, I can see that. I can see that one. That I might try that out. There, one one of the things I'm doing right now that's kind of similar to that, although that's a slightly different path that might that might end up working out. The way I'm doing it now is that. I assume that the characters are waking up basically totally broken. The scarring on your body is the obvious scarring. And then the emotional and psychic scarring is not obvious, right? So part of the game is un like figuring out what that is and unpacking it and healing it um, or integrating it really more than anything else. Um, so though and and it's those parts of you that are not that are damaged in some sense that are responsible that are eventually the conduit to your to your greater ability so the more you you heal yourselves the more ability you get to affect things beyond yourselves and that allows you to have greater influence over the course of the story while while perhaps pushing on it less by like one of the things one of the one of the character one of the let me put it like this one of the promises of many games is to do the adventurer conqueror king arc right where you have you start out lowly uh nobodies you become uh people that can uh that can take on outsized threats and then eventually you can take on um very large threats because you have a lot of influence and i feel mm -hmm. like there's a there the, the the upward motion of those games to me feels very arbitrary most of the time because it's simply a level click over where okay, now we're level 10 and we get castles type stuff, which is not always how it goes, but functionally it's, it's more or less like that. Mm. And I suppose I'm, I'm interested in, in allowing players to tell that story, but to allow them to tell it through their actions rather than they did some stuff and now the numbers are bigger and they get a castle you know what i mean like there and that's the stuff that happens in rpgs as well but i feel like that happens more often when there's a good interpersonal flow between the gm and the players and there's that's hmm. the gm gets what the players want out of the story and then puts things in it to to do that but i feel like so many so many games even actively steer the GM away from doing stuff like that and 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 making it somewhat somewhat operationalized where it's it's just get through get through the milestones you get the the prize which 
fair enough. Like, I don't want to be, I'm not interested in, in building a game where it's like you, you, you do the thing and you don't get, you show up and you don't get anything. That's, that would be pretty unfun. But like, it feels like in, in most games I've played, I would say that the actions that my characters take don't, I, I don't see how they connect all that strongly to the plot changes in in the greater story like though those sorts of like scope up things feel still very arbitrary in in most places and that sort of expansion of agency still feels i don't know there's an unearned quality to it that that it's tricky to nail down because it's at the same time it's hmm. it, it's like it's like the players when they get there don't have the right tools to tell that story they still have tools from the lowly adventurer smashing monsters story they yeah, don't well, have the yeah if all your mechanics are are about solving problems with through direct action and the personal actions you can take it is very hard uh, it is actually very hard for those to correctly model or even those innate systems to model uh running a large group of people but uh or like being in charge of uh of something that exists outside of the scope that you can directly see mm -hmm. Like, even outside of the, oh, like, yeah, if the game only has mechanics for punching things, then that's even worse. But if it's mechanics for um, kingdom management look exactly like it's mechanics for punching things, then people, <laughs> then that creates a lot of dissonance in a lot of people, or yeah, in my to experience. To some degree, it helps if you also have a GM coaching in the way that the rewards are based on what people do like not just here's a loot table you roll on it like that's not great it is more like here's this thing that you've been pushing towards here's the action that you're taking to get towards it then your reward should be you move closer to this thing that you're trying to get like if if everything just breaks down to you have this much gold, everything costs gold. That's not actually an economy that you can really work with. Like it becomes too ubiquitous to the point that there's no there's no way to focus on anything because your solution to everything is to get more gold. Like I found for the way that my games run, like having things like getting reputation with certain factions has been a, a really big deal. Doing things to upgrade like your stronghold, basically like your castle or whatever, to put in, say, areas for dealing with diplomats, ways to make it easier to talk with people that are from farther distances away or so that you can travel to a different uh, area that's farther away. Um, ways that you can get favors owed to you from like powerful monarchs and stuff, mm. like the faction leaders or whatever, like stuff 
other than just one size fits all reward, that seems to be the key from what I've been testing at least. Mm -hmm. There may be other ways to it, but having differences in currency other than just, okay, you have succeeded, here's experience, here's money. These can be used to buy anything that you want. That right. That, that seems to have been what solved most of it for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, of course. Like... Uh, need to talk. Please, no, go ahead. Speak okay, I guess I'll talk then. Uh, the problem with multiple <laughs> currencies is uh, essentially, how should I phrase this? It's really annoying to keep track of six currencies. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it can be unfortunately. It it really can be. But on the other hand, being able to track that somebody owes you a favor is kind of important. Oh, yes. Um, my favorite, I mean, this isn't relevant to this current discussion, but my favorite game just flat out, uh, the, the primary currency is somebody owes you a favor or you owe somebody a favor. So, you know. Yeah, it's really useful. And yeah, it's... It's kind of a nuisance to keep track of, especially because favors, you have to track them on an individual basis. But if you know that, like, the leader of the mafia owes you a favor, a big favor, like, they owe you, that can kind of change the story dramatically and not just yeah. on a localized setting. Like, that can change the entire game world, depending on how it's leveraged. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think even though it kind of sucks to have multiple currencies, having, like, most GMs are going to use these extra currencies anyways. They're just not going to track them as numeric values, I found. Hmm. Like, you've been doing a lot of stuff for this particular kingdom. Okay, this kingdom trusts you with more important stuff. Right. They will give you more help. We haven't quantified it. But we're totally tracking it anyway. We're just not tracking it. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I, I have something very similar. I, I just, communities have trust and favor. And you can increase one or the other or decrease, you know. Um, whereas trust is like the long term and favor is like, uh, you helped out, but it's not like the kind of thing that makes you in the in-group, but these people are willing to help you type deal. I think that's... Yeah. I, I think if you focus more on that, that might actually help a fair bit, especially if you emphasize it more. Like, this is important stuff. Um, it's a third of your advancement, so it's not not important. Yeah. Well, it's, it depends. Do the players actually care about it? Like, even if it's like a third of your advancement, do they actually notice it in practice? Because that's not necessarily the same thing. Like you can give somebody a, good point. a huge level increase and they just mm -hmm. don't do anything with that. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a really good point. I mean, it is in in some sense, I don't leveraging the community aspect uh and the relational aspect of your character is is one of the gateways to getting bigger things done. Mm -hmm. um, so I, because you can, for the, for the main reasons that they can act at the same time as you, 
so they can do stuff while you're doing stuff, which is mm -hmm. obviously good. So the more you can, yeah, it's a force multiplier. Yeah. So, so I think most, most players, there's, there's two things there that I'm, I'm intending to have happen. One power gamers will notice a force multiplier in a game because they will. I'm just, I'm just trusting that that will happen. And then, but the other aspect is that I'm making the, I'm intentionally designing a good deal of influence into the social relational capacity of the characters such that the people that are the opposite of power gamers, like almost a portal opposite, they're showing up to the game not to make the numbers bigger, but to increase their to to push the story forward and increase their characters' interactivity with the story. That same drive, I hope, is will will lead them towards the community path, which is functionally a way of increasing their agency in the game. And to make those two things equally attractive to what I feel are probably the two biggest chunks of player types is an intentional hook. Um, so I hope it's noticeable. I hope that thing is noticeable because it's 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 pretty it's pretty chunky as far as as far as things. Okay, there's yeah. one thing that but, stands but out me. immediately for me mm -hmm. is you basically got something for you know the mechanical power gamers and the social power gamers, like mm -hmm. story power gamers. But for people that are not trying to power game, like they might not even have like the social thing. They just want to do something for the character, or they don't even want to do something themselves. They just kind of want to play with their friends, and mm -hmm. their friends are doing something. I guess I'll tag along and do whatever it is they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's like. Okay, th this is still a very large portion of the population of many games. Like, agreed. It's often to have you know two or three players in a group that do this. What are you doing to make it so that they're actually having an impact on the world other than just existing? Uh -huh. um, <laughs> well, I hope uh, it it depends. So, like the. The character that the, the player that wants to show up and just smash stuff will hopefully find in the like there's part of the game that you can do that right obviously hmm. it's it's if you don't do any of the social stuff right and you and you and you're like i don't care about any of that crap i don't want to talk to anybody i'm just going to focus purely on making my my personal power as big as it can be. Uh, that sh that's viable, and you there will be results that happen as a result of that. People, I mean, if you do that, right? It's inevitable that a community grows up around you because you are now the best person in the area at all this stuff. So people will just show up and start following you. That's not, that's not because of the way practices work. Practices are how you increase skills. And the more you escalate in a practice, the more it enmeshes you in, uh, in the 
sort of communal nature of of practice as such. So it's possible to be a hermit and be in a cave and just level up your attack dice and do nothing else. And that is a game Ashes could be used to do, although it would be really boring probably because you'd be sitting in a cave just being like, yep, I explore myself until I I find, so, I, you know, I so, encounter enough, enough, my own limitations, and then I, you know, fight those and push through it. And, and but I've no, I made no effect outside of my character sheet. So hmm. you, could, you could do that functionally forever. It's just it would. I think I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the the horrible fate wizard who sits who sits in a cave all day practicing personal betterment sounds like an interesting character by accident, actually. <laughs> it's like okay i can see all the strands of fate i can see everything oh time to time to make sure that i don't mess it up so i'm gonna go spend the next 300 years in a cave uh hope the rest of you have a plan if you if you need me to uh, i don't know stab something uh call me yeah that's that's the thing see i think that's kind of interesting too and it it feels like that's a doable thing because of the nature of crises so the crises that you know once if that is your character, right? Let's say your character is just like you want to do like this this crazy monk that old, like you're basically came from kung fu, except you're wandering around punching the exact right dude at the exact right time. That's <laughs> your that's your entire story. You show up at the crisis with an outsized level of skill. You. And then people are like, well, who the fuck was that guy? And then you go back to your cave and, and meditate or whatever for, for the next five years. Uh, <laughs> while, but at the same time, right, you notice that all the parts where, you, like, your apathy is going up and up and up and up because your, the, the, the inattention to the world has an effect that I quantify. And so that's, I, that's, an, I, that's an allowable choice to make, but it has a trade-off that, that I, that I me mechanize. So, um, yeah, do it. I want to see what happens. You know that comic I linked previously about Bob was there too? Uh-huh. <laughs> you just described him. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Except that's, that's just the mechanism of the game because when the crisis happens, you're automatically there because you're the perfect person for the crisis because the game says so. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you can't get out of it. That's, that's the, I mean, that's... That's part of the. That's part of the. That's part of the deal. Meanwhile, at the heart of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's 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 a game of Ash. That would be weird. Go and figure out what the sun is. Hypothetically, you could do it if you've got. If you're just like, well, uh, my body doesn't take damage from heat or gravity anymore. So I'm gonna launch myself at the sun and try and talk to it. I don't know. Why not? It's a game about it's like a game of game about crazy apocalypses. I'm not. I don't. I'm not like throwing too many constraints on it that much anymore. Like I've got like my constraints on on the player's agency at this point are like these are the magics that exist, and these these categories of magics are basically unfuckwithable. Besides that, it's a more or less Bronze Age Renaissance era, and then go crazy. Um. So. I don't know. Like Sabrina was talking about, like, oh, you could could you use evolve to evolve a god in the story? I'm like, yeah, 
Oh, hypothetically. Okay, so uh, this, this is off topic, and I'm sorry for that. Mm -hmm. But Rob, what what is your favorite of these three methodologies for creating a god in Ashes of Magi? You, you, uh, you, you basically find some suitable like uh, how should I phrase this? You find some suitable stand-in for you that you can talk through. You do everything through them. Uh, and and that becomes you know since you have innate knowledge of fate there's there is no there is no a psychic a strange psychic being that is uh that is engaging in worship and forming cult around them so uh, there is the the good old fashioned um, what was it called the good old fashioned create uh, spread root spread rumors of the, uh this thing and 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 make up the idea of a god and, until it and just mess with the world until it seems real uh, uh and then there's mm -hmm. of course the well i can see fate now i uh, guess that means i am a divine entity mm -hmm. uh so i'm going to try to make sure that uh, the people treat me as such because it might be useful to, for solving my problems. And uh, this is because I forgot the first one I wanted to say and I still haven't remembered it. I also forgot the first one you're going to say and still didn't remember, but that's fine. But yeah, both of those two <laughs> methods should be functional. So you could, you could start your own cult and then as a function of that cult growing to an outsized level, the effect of the god on the, the environment is not different from the god existing mm -hmm. uh or yeah you could do the thing where it's like i'm a fate wizard i am god i am going to act as if i am and uh people will have to deal with me and that's also yeah you could do that too or you could point at like hey there's a god in mythology i'm going to i found a book about a god i'm going to explore the book figure out all the concepts about the god resonate with one of them reify that into the main setting and suddenly now that's an ancient god that everybody has to deal with you know there there is also the there is also the i i went into a cave found a weird rock and now and uh i'm going to learn everything about this rock and i may be accidentally putting too much information into this rock and inadvertently making it overly important no, that's also that can do that that can happen too. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, I could be very off color and say that's functionally the story of Islam because there's a rock that everybody thinks is super important mm -hmm. in a place that has now made that place very important. But as far as I can tell, it's a rock. So is that is that did that happen? Yes. Can ashes do that? Yeah, probably. Like, let's make this one certain thing the symbol of this whole. Like the rock symbolizes X, and now this is the thing. And now you could you could do that. Uh, I hope maybe ostensibly you, well, you tell that story. We know who didn't kiss the Blarney Stone. I did not kiss the Blarney Stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. I'm gonna say something else, and I forgot because of that. I'm sorry. Is the Blarney Stone? <laughs> yeah, I got hung up on thinking about that, and then I forgot what I was gonna say. Hmm. 
I can kiss kiss Cam 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 Barney Stone, Blarney. I don't know Blarney Barney, Barney Blarney Stone. Barney Stone, Blarney Stones. I can kiss on Cam apparently. Okay. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? I've a point at some point. Uh, don't know. We were talking about game design. Were we? Yeah, specifically, we were supposed I mean, to be talking about like limits of agency. We have. Okay, so what I thought this topic was, and I want to get this out before the end of the episode, because we're an hour and a half in, is uh, basically what we're talking about at the start, but in a sideways way. Um, basic, uh, how do I phrase this? How, what you set up, the, what you set up as the rules of your engine uh, it affect what people are allowed to do, which affects the story that they generate. Which, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm. Yeah, right. The the rules that make the engine of the story affect what they're allowed to do, and that affect what stories they can tell. And wait, how is that different from what we've been saying? I don't know. I think that was the same. Yeah, it's not. A, we just haven't looped around back to it in a while. Okay. I figured I'd restate the topic. Oh. <laughs> make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, good mm -hmm. move. Um. I think that's relatively fair of an assessment. Okay. Is did we any... just did we bottom it out? What happened? Did we, did, I don't know. I, I don't I, think we bottomed it out. I no. I think the question is more so where is that line and like we got to where you're trying to figure out how to set up that line and how to actually make it mechanically move work in your particular yeah, move, game yeah. mode, but we yeah. have but i don't yeah. think we bottomed out on the question the question itself is still kind of does that line move in various games and are there different ways to handle it and once we started looking at like one particular way to handle it it's like it's actually really complicated to do this intentionally unless you know exactly like where you want yeah, that line to be. Want, if you want your game to be very open-ended, uh, it is very hard to, hmm. you know, actually figure out how you draw the line with without people noticing that there is a line. Like, unless right. you're okay with them noticing, which is fine That's... in kind of modern game design, but also it's not generally, uh, how should I phrase this? There's a lot of people shouldn't be hyper aware of the line in gameplay because, yeah, that's not something that they should be thinking about. Which is weird because part of it is you do want people to be aware of it because, like, if you're going to be changing the where the line is because you're changing the scale of it, like the most games, as Rob was saying, it, it you start off relatively localized and you end up with oh we're seeing the world or whatever you know, much more broad kind of reach. Well, the players want to feel like they're actually moving in terms of how much agency they have is like where this line of the limit of their reach is. They do actually want to actually feel this and they want to feel it not just oh, I kind of get this vague sense that I'm 
somewheres now where I wasn't able to be before, but I don't really know when that happened. A lot of the time they want clear and distinctive. I can now do reach up to X range and I wasn't able to before. I can now do this. I can now do this. And they want to feel like, you know, increasing the steps that are very clear and concise. They may not want to be constantly focusing on it all the time. But when they make the shift from one plateau up to the next, they kind of do tend to want to know that they've made that shift and that they're on a different tier than they were previously. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, scoping, whatever that scope is or whatever it is in your game is like the, I think, I think you're right. I think basically letting players know when they've clicked up is is important i mean how however obvious you do it if you just call it like tier one through six or if it's you know a heroic paragon epic or uh i don't know take some other obvious levels in the first place right it's the point of levels yeah one two three one through twenty sure um yeah well people can understand that two is better than one and three is better than two it's straightforward enough they don't necessarily need to know how much better two is than one like right. our gamers will figure it out that oh yeah at level three i get to do this new ability that i wasn't able to do before and three is definitely a big level compared to like two it's like two doesn't really do much but three is a big level we definitely <laughs> want to get to level three okay right. so i have a weird thing that i want to discuss before we get too far down the line when it's no longer relevant and that is a lot of the games that i play stand, tend to stick on a similar like scale like there's definitely increases in power but um it it's generally the story was about a city in the start it's about a, it's about the same city at the end uh sure the 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 threats that face it might be steadily escalating as if there was some type of uh convenience matrix but uh other than that mm -hmm. convenience it, matrix yeah, yeah. some type of algorithm is determining how powerful the threat for the city is and i don't it's, it's really strange yeah, it's kind of weird how, like, you know, you used to have barbarians at the gates, but now you've got, like, literal gods pounding on the front gate. Like, how did that happen? Like, this wouldn't have happened, like, a decade ago. It's like, back in my day, we did not have gods banging on the doors. It was just barbarians. And you, you people, like, with your modern, like, gods just running around and dragons everywhere. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love having it phrased like that. Because <laughs> it is a thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it's a thing where it's like, man, our city was fine until these five assholes showed up and saved us from those goblins. Yeah. And now it's just been increasingly devastating threats for the last two years. And they're, they always seem to fix it, but I can't help but wonder at this point if they're inviting these things somehow. So the question is, if we get rid of them, will that make the bad things stop coming to us? Or do we actually need them because the bad things are going to keep coming after this is already trapped? Yeah, it's that chicken and egg problem, right? The adventure and monster issue. 
Mm. Like, what comes first? Because adventures wouldn't exist if there weren't monsters to kill, right? Monsters can exist without adventurers, so that kind of makes that pretty straightforward. I guess that. I guess that. I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess that's, not, that's a pretty easy question. To answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, monsters definitely came first, and then adventurers like, oh yeah, we somebody is eating my, our children. Let us go slay the thing eating the children, and then uh, and then and then the thing eating the children comes back with. Hey man, that's just our culture, and you don't understand. This is and... an endangered species. Yeah, there's only three of me left, and we need all the children for 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 hibernation. And if yeah. you would just let us let us do this, uh, we'd go yeah. away for thirty years and come back and eat some children again. And really, that's yeah. way less than you're going to lose the disease. So really, I don't know, man. And, and it's a one half to the other. You have plenty of children to spare. Like, we've seen your breeding habits. It's fine. You're not losing that many. These are the kids. I, I, I reflect upon this thing I saw earlier this week where it was like the D&D third edition style guide where it was explicitly like, don't make the players choose between two kinds of evil. <laughs> and the monsters are evil. Do not try to make them you know relatable <laughs> right <laughs> they're not relatable they're here to be slaughtered by yes, players who are heroic good guys yeah. technically babies are a renewable resource <laughs> babies are a renewable resource yes no, that is actually used in historical context as well like if your country or whatever has a declining population like a negative replacement rate then going to war is a really bad idea. They will not support it. If you have overpopulation, like you're producing like three times as many people as you need and you're gaining in population, then sure, go to war. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be humans are, are weird. Well, not. They're not weird in some no, sense. It's not. It's just a weird aspect of nature does balance itself out like if you get too many people there's going to be a war or there's going to be a plague or there's going to be something we'll call the numbers back down again it's actually really hard to have like severe overpopulation for any sustainable length of time yeah i would agree yeah like you for can do it for like, short yeah. bursts but because of the short burst oh we don't have enough food feed people okay well, I guess they're going to starve until we have enough food that we can support the people that didn't starve. Cam is yelling at us in chat. Tabletop <laughs> <laughs> RPGs aren't usually about compromise, which is where limiting agency is important. Yes. Yeah, but I yes. I like compromise. I do too. Compromise can lead to interesting outcomes. <laughs> Uh, having to agree to only like okay the dragon can have a virgin princess but they can only have it every second year except for leap years oh, now the player's journey is about tracking down a new virgin princess every two years yeah oh god the, the, the... technically it'd be every four but that's why okay good point you set up. except 
on centuries, like they'd still have to pay it on century. So you get like, I guess, 51 every 100 years. Or no, 20, 26, something like that. <laughs> My math sucks. It's late at night. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, I will say that compromises in RPGs, uh, that is what the four to five, uh, seven to nine results are basically. They're just codified, uh, they're just highly codified. Anyway, compromise, but yeah. Yeah, highly codified compromise is interesting. Um, in, in that regard where the, you have the, that's the artificial, I mean, it's not artificial, but it is the, you have a limited agency make a choice from these three good options and these three bad options, roughly speaking. You must pick four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, I'm going to take all the three good options, but then I have to pick one of the bad ones. Well, generally, it's pick one option from the good list, pick one option from the bad list, okay. have fun. Um, these options are vague. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Intentionally vague. Yeah. yeah. Well, they kind of have to be, unless you want like a lot of specific rules and such. Yeah. Okay. So, um, is there anything that, like, related to this topic that somebody wants to discuss that they think will spark another major dis discussion? That's a, that's an awfully loaded question. Yeah, it's a do we? It's a get it out now because we have time for one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now is the time to bring it up. <laughs> Mark, you you've been quiet this 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 time. What do you, what do you got? What do you got? Yeah, anything? No. I mean, I think I think we discussed the topic. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's hard to say for a particular game or like for a, a generic game, I guess, how you would want to approach this. Like, this really depends on exactly what kind of game you want. And right. um, I don't know. That's like the most vague answer I can give, though. But <laughs> well, for you, right? So you get your your game is about expanding agency in a sense. Your game is about like you start with a low with a low set of a set of options. It's not. When, how would you phrase it? Well, like in in my definition, I guess it would have been that like your your agent, the actual character, is expanding in powers, but you as the player always have the agency of determining what it is that your character is doing. Like you you always get to choose what uh, skill you're writing on the card. And it can really be anything that seems appropriate. Like, there's no limiter that's set on what you decide to define. It just sets the scope of what this game is about. So there's sort of a contract of the table of what kind of story you want to tell. And if this is of the scale of, like, gods fighting, then that's great. Then you can, like, unmake realities if you want. But um, the the game is about that agreement that you set at the table, and everyone should like respect that uh, idea, I guess. Um, so in terms of the player, I don't think any agency really changes. It's just the scope of like how many of these opportunities you have, or the opportunity of like playing combinations of cards to tell more of the story, like. Um, it, it's 
more about the certainty of your actions working the way you want them to um, that you buy over time, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know that it, it really feels the same way as what you've been describing as what you want in your game. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do, I mean, because you're, you're, the way your you're, you're setup is, is structured, right? The, the, the type of things that you can write down on that card, on the cards, are not really... How constrained are they exactly? They're just constrained by the type. So, like, if you have the four different suits, uh, just ask that you write something about um, that aspect. So the physical aspect, you would have a definition that suits your character's physical nature. Um, and I say, like, to, to write it down as you're doing the action, so that helps in terms of narrowing what um, the possibilities are. But it's really up to the players to come up with what seems appropriate or thematic in the moment of the action and how they want to approach solving the problems. So you have permission in your game, then, de facto, that the players... I mean, I'm trying to understand this. Is it so that the players can actually scope to whatever thing they want at that point? Like, like let's say, let's say, I'm I'm playing a character and they are, they they're the head of a large city. Yeah. How do you how do you represent that? Um, I mean, the the lore of the game is not written. Um. Mm-hmm. That's something that you agree upon in the uh, in the aspect of the the table narrative. So you just say like, "Oh, I I want my character to be this." Mm-hmm. You manifest it in the ways that your character has the different actions on their cards. So what what does it mean for you to be the leader of a city? Does it mean that you have connections and that you would have a card that is like, "Oh, you know, like this person in this city," or you you have like a uh, an attendant who follows you around and fetches whatever you want. And that could be the kind of manifestation of that concept to you. Um, You're the mob boss. You, run, you own the city. Right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's like you, you know all the dark alleyways, and that's something that you would have as your knowledge basis for your character, is that like, no matter where you go, you know like, how to get out of a sticky situation. You know all the, the corners to turn or whatever. Uh, the politician, you have dirt on everyone. Right. What what um, has been done for my game to like keep the balance between players is that it's more about the contract that you set at the beginning of what's this game going to be about, and everyone agrees on that, and that's really setting the scale of where the the overall power is mm. um, for the the context of the story we're telling. So really, there's nothing limiting players from saying, um, well, we're all going to be peasants, and someone says, I want to block out the sun and absorb all its power. It's just that that invalidates sort of the, the social contract that you set at the beginning of what's our story going to be about, and if it's all of us like being in a gang and trying to like cut purses and like run away with 10 gold. It's not about like absorbing the entire sun's power and like <laughs> destroying the universe. You so, said that, but it turns out that the peasants. This was the plot of you know the 
the priest of the sun god and you're in like the Incan temple. So the peasants have to rise up and prevent them from doing this. Well, one of the peasants decide what if they were the one who got to absorb the sun god's power? So the uh, the idea for like how to control that, like you could totally go with it. And if that's the way that all the players at the table want to go with it, then that makes sense. And in my game, the GM is really supposed to be the arbiter of what the overall player wants. They're the keeper of that deck that is, this is what the story is supposed to be like. Um, so, so one that's, yeah. question here, because this is definitely going to come up. What happens when one of the peasants, we'll use this as the example, one of the peasants decides they want to not just defeat the the priest of the sun god, but become the new priest of the sun god and become the new sun god themselves as their avatar. And most of the other players are like, okay, that actually sounds kind of cool. Let's actually do that. And then there's one person who's vehemently against it and they're going to quit the game over it. Now what? Well, I mean, that's the same problem that I think you have in any, like... Yeah, it is. I'm just wondering if... The... Because you've put the GM as having the power of being the arbiter for exactly this kind of situation, is there coaching for the GM on this? Right. The most I have is just to say that they are there to encourage everyone. Even the players, like the, the social contract for the players is to try to encourage each other and to um, find that kind of common ground of what kind of story you want to tell. So um, the idea is to highlight the stories that everyone else wants to tell and to like be collaborative in that sense. Um, so that's where it would be sort of up to the players to come up with that sort of compromise. But uh, I don't have any hard and fast rules. And a lot of the game is set that way of just being more open-minded to what it is that the global group wants to do. Um, and, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I'm curious about <clears throat> once you have that initial setup and people have agreed, is it, it, can that initial setup change or is that because it's you? Yeah. Okay. So, how, how is there a way for them to do that? Could you redo the setup or do you, is there a way for the, for the players the, to tell me? Uh, the Game Master is responsible for the cards that make up the sort of deck that tells the, um, the story, I guess, or tells mm -hmm. the uh, context of what's going on around the players. And between each episode, the Game Master revises that deck. So they add new cards, oh, okay. um, and they're able to remove old cards. So they can update them to sort of uh, revise the story. Interesting. So, and they, and do, they do that without the player's input, or they're just sort of like... It's collaboratively that? together, so everyone at the table can give an input. So they are again the ones that are like ultimately responsible for it. But the okay. idea is that at the end of the session, they talk about who are the important things that we want to keep in this game. What are the things that have changed, and you can reflect that in the the deck of cards. Mm -hmm. So the main uh, vehicle to do that is that you write down what your objective is for the session on one of the cards as you begin, and that is reflected in the outcome of that day's like uh okay session, i guess objective so, being the player's objective or the or the characters the character's objective okay so they okay. say like oh we want to uh you know take down the sun god 
and that is mm -hmm. the objective. And the fallout of that action is reflected in the card itself. So if the players succeed, then um, there are implications in the story that are represented by that one card. And if that comes up, then uh, in, in future games, then that reflects that idea of they tried to challenge the sun god and they succeeded. But if they fail, that also carries weight that they tried to challenge the sun god and now they're criminals or they're outcasts. And that says a different kind of story for them. Um, but the idea is always to revise that deck between sessions. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with that right now. Like, what do how much how much does the big map change in between sessions? Right. Um, for me, it's like because I have because the journals are changing. You know, I don't know how many page flips will be in a session. Uh, I have I don't have a concept of that yet. I'm, I'm guessing it'll be something like three to five, maybe ten. I don't know. Um, but those concepts that move back on that move from the players sphere into the main environment sphere or the universal sphere i guess um i don't uh, i suppose that just it, it acts like your deck only that eventually certain things don't will will kind of fall away by virtual by virtue of the fact that they don't come up enough right so it's sort of i'm tr i guess i'm trying to it, it's more like building a topology where you're sort of like making the map taller or deeper by pushing on parts of it and uh or yeah i guess yeah you're making like the, the topology like the more meaning and interaction the players have with one concept then it becomes more central i guess until until it, it i i don't there's i don't know if there's I mean, it, there's only so big it can get. So once it affects like right. their their entire environment, then they can take it to a universal concept. But like that's not that's I don't really mess with that level of scope. Like at the, I don't know how that's going to affect things later in the game. I don't know if like, yeah. but but the idea is that yeah, you can the the stuff that you do in the game affects can affect the environment if enough if enough people in the society are doing it right so if you if you spun the whatever action you've taken into uh affecting a bunch of different people then that's going to eventually have an effect at the social scope and that scopes up and up and up but like the the idea of having the persistent artifact that it sort of tracks the in session or the session to session rather not the in session but the session to session progress uh i feel like a lot of games don't would like would benefit from something like that and like i feel like the blaze in the dark crew sheets kind of do that pretty well right yeah. um but i like the idea of having this like the gm side version of that like the city sheet in blaze in the dark kind of does that but doesn't do it all that well like there were like when i was writing the city sheet like i had to have like a lot of different notes on that thing there was where there's no room for and there's a lot of the factions that didn't really come up so i didn't really need the whole thing but i also needed more stuff there yeah. so i felt like it was just a little uh i don't know i was just i've been just trying on ways the, the, to the, yeah i don't i don't think the like conceptually for what tracks the city sheet is is a good concept 
for it is not the correct tool in, in a lot of ways. It's because mm -hmm. I'd say that for my game, I can get away with it, and um, in a sense, because it's so loosey goosey, uh, mm -hmm. that being able to revise the um, like what constitutes the important aspects of the world uh, would normally like disrupt the game pretty extremely. But because my my core game is pretty open ended, um, it's easier to do. Um, mm. So I don't know how easy it is for something like Ashes, where you really spent a lot of effort in these individual interactions. But I, I, I definitely think that you want that update to what the mm -hmm. world is saying around you and how that, um, how that carries forward to the next game. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. OK. But anyway, yeah, I think we've, yeah. we've deviated a bit from well, no, actually, that's more a topic than the previous discussion. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. This uh, is probably better than what I was going to suggest for the extended topic, which was going to be hypo-agency. That would have been messy. Yeah. What? Okay, I, I, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> you start explaining it, and then we're going to get the whole thing. Okay. Next yep. week on Flail Forward, hypo-agency. What the fuck is that? All right. No, no. No, so, no we're, we're not doing it. Uh, that is not a full topic. No. Even if it would be fun. Maybe do it in the after show? Do it. Yeah, maybe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thanks everybody for listening to another Flail Forward where we talk about agency and what it means in games and how um, how we sort of approach it and the different takes we have on it. I'm not sure we solved it. I'm not sure we even have a better concept of agency now than when we started. I, yeah, I, I don't think we do. But we I think we have it. a more nuanced, less coherent. More nuanced, less coherent. Well, that's flail forward for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, that's shirt number two. More nuanced, less coherent. Short number one is welcome to the dumpster fire, correct? Welcome to the dumpster fire, yeah, or something to that effect. Okay. I think I know. I think Sabrina had had posted a quote like I can't remember like two or three episodes ago that was just like right on, but I can't remember what it was right now. Uh, but that's oh, that's sad. Yeah, I spent. There's I've been boy. That was actually probably like two months ago. Anyway, doesn't matter. Ha! Everybody, thank you for listening. If you're listening. Thanks for uh, Cam being in the live audience. Oh, uh, it's right in it's right in the it's right in the memes. Uh, apologies for saying your authorities. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw when I did a search for T-shirt. Rob said we say T-shirt worthy aphorism about once an episode. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Thanks for thanks for the that thing. Yes. We have we had a memes thing. Where is that? Oh, see me. There you go. Apologies for y'all saying authorities. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody apologizing for saying we are an authority. It's yeah. there, but yes, it is always night where you are there, whether you want it to be or not. Right. It's always night.
Thanks for listening. Uh, and I'm going to stop the recording now ish. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Oh. Not yet. Do we get a countdown Wait. timer? No. Three. No, it's just going to stop. And people are going to go one, zero, negative one, negative two. This is your fault. You're still.